0: So let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Still working our way through 1 Peter chapter 1. I am going to read verses 13 through 17, which will bring us up to where we left off. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more about these verses, you can purchase previous studies in our cafe on CD or DVD for a very modest price. But we've covered this quite a bit already. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, prior to being saved, as a pagan, as a non-believer. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here. I love that. The time of your stay here. We talked about that last week. We are aliens. We are strangers. This world is not our home. Our home is in heaven. Throughout the time of your stay here, in fear, in awe, in respect, taking your walk with God seriously. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word. We thank you for this fantastic book of First Peter. Thank you, God, that uh, not only do we have Mark's gospel, which is really Peter's gospel, we have the books of First and Second Peter because we would be really sad if we could not have heard from this wonderful apostle, this mighty man of faith. Thank you for this book. We ask you to bless this study this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So piggybacking on what we just read, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. So conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Peter makes two points in this, just this one statement. Two things we see here. One, the opposite. You were not redeemed with corruptible things. But what is he telling us? That you, I, we, were and are redeemed. Noah Webster definition, 1828 dictionary. Redeemed, ransomed. When someone is taken hostage, when they're kidnapped. Oftentimes they're seeking a ransom. The human race was taken hostage by Satan in bondage to sin. Ransom, delivered from bondage. Distress, penalty. Ransomed from the penalty that we deserved. The wages of sin is death. Liability or from the possession of another. Wow. Yes, basically, apart from Christ, the devil owns you every human being is born into this world a sinner and is basically under the ownership of the devil Jesus even told the Pharisees these so-called great religious leaders you are sons of the devil let me read it all the way through again ransom delivered from bondage distress penalty liability or from the possession of another By paying an equivalent. Redeemed. Ransomed. Jesus paid the price. For our redemption. Our redemption was not paid for. With corruptible things. Carnal things. Fleshly things. The things of this world. Like silver or gold. Again. When you're talking about a ransom in worldly terms, earthly terms, yeah, I mean, there's, a, we want a million dollars to return your son or your daughter to you. So then you're talking some serious coinage, some serious silver and gold. But all the silver and gold in the world could never have paid the price to redeem us. To this world, these are the most precious commodities you can have, and yet Peter calls them... Corruptible. Corruptible things. And they certainly have corrupted many men and women down through the centuries, have they not? That's the problem with the riches of this world. They're very appealing, very desirable. Most people spend their entire lives in pursuit of these things. And yet, just like power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, we can certainly say the same thing about the corruptible things of this world, the gold, the silver, the earthly treasures. We've seen many a good man or woman corrupted by these things. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, And so what Peter is referring to here is the aimless, meaningless lives that people live apart from God. Your aimless conduct, because any conduct apart from God, even though it may appear to be an incredible, amazing accomplishment without God in the mix it's really aimless it's meaningless Jesus said "What does it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul and he says that this aimless conduct was received by tradition from your fathers and you know and that's how many people live their lives well you know that's how it's always been in my family We've always been Democrats, or it could be Republican too. We've always been Catholics, and so sometimes when people depart from Catholicism or the accepted belief system of that family, they're ostracized, they're rejected. How could you do that? This is the way it's always been. Hey, my family's always been a bunch of drunkards. You know, we've always been alcoholics, so I'm an alcoholic. Traditions inherited. From your fathers. Well you know my family. We were a long line of gigolos. Or womanizers or what have you. And so yeah I followed the family tradition. Others might call that. A family curse. And when you receive Christ. As your Lord and Savior. Paul writes that all the old things. Have passed away. Behold all things have become new. The curse can be broken in Christ. And you don't any longer have to just live an aimless life based upon the... Now, there's some families with good traditions, good Christian families, who pass on those beliefs to their children and their grandchildren. But we know in many, many cases, it's just the opposite. And that's what Peter's referring to here. He's saying, break from that. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, fleshly things, your redemption was made by the very Son of God who died on the cross for your sins. From your aimless conduct, your meaningless existence, your meaningless lifestyle received by tradition from your fathers. And so we move on to verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So here's the commodity. Not silver, not gold, nothing that this world has to offer. How were we redeemed? By the precious blood, with the precious blood of Christ. The commodity, the substance that was used to purchase our redemption was the very blood of God's only Son. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Now the ancient Gnostics tried to separate the body from the Spirit and they taught that christ didn't literally have a physical body that he was really a phantom or a spirit and therefore whatever you do with your body it doesn't matter it's okay because they're two separate entities the bible doesn't teach that notice paul says your body is the temple of the holy spirit and therefore he goes on to say therefore honor or glorify god with your body do you not know that your body is the temple of the holy spirit who is in you whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. Part of our definition of redeemed was to be purchased, to be bought back by paying an equivalent. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, both, body and spirit, which are Who's, who owns you now? God. That's what a lot of people don't get. Basically, Bob Dylan nailed it with his song, you Got to Serve Somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You're born into this world under the ownership of Satan because you're born into this world a sinner. And the devil owns you because you're you're under the curse of Adam and Eve, the curse of sin. Christ died to buy you back, to pay your ransom. You were held hostage. And it doesn't matter whether you realize it or not. A lot of people, you know, tiptoe through life, they're having a good old time, totally oblivious to the fact that they're owned by the devil. But it's an inescapable fact of life. So you're either going to go through life owned by the devil. You might think you're in control, but you're really not. Or you can choose to accept Christ's price of redemption, his ransom. But then you become the property. And that's another Bob Dylan song. He's the property of Jesus. You're either the property of the devil or the property of God. That sounds like a no-brainer to me. But see, human nature says, I don't want to be owned by anybody. I want to be in charge. I want to be in control. But you can't be. Sorry, the universe just doesn't work that way. God made you. You're His creation. You either choose to Acknowledge Him as your heavenly Father and receive the price paid by Jesus Christ for your redemption, for your salvation. Or go on thinking you're in charge when really you're the property of Satan. Those are your two options. That's not fair. Everybody's all, oh, it's not fair. You know what? Being allowed to choose to go to heaven rather than hell, I think that's more than fair. I'll take it every time. With the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so Peter here obviously is referring to the sinlessness of Jesus. When John the Baptist was preparing the way of the Lord, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Only a perfect sacrifice would be acceptable to pay the price for our sins. You've got to have enough in your bank account to pay the ransom. And nobody but God had that much in his account. In fact, you and I go through life operating in a deficit. The wages of sin is death. That we could never build up enough in our account to pay for our own sins. Only God could do that. Leviticus 22, beginning in verse 19. You shall offer of your own free will a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or free will offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted, there shall be no defect in it. And so it goes on and on here in Leviticus. Every offering brought before the Lord had to be without spot or blemish. And yet those were just temporary band-aids on the sin problem. To truly eradicate your sins once and for all, the sacrifice had to be equivalent The animal sacrifices were a temporary fix. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us they were just shadows of the things to come. Ultimately, the sacrifice that could truly, once and for all, eradicate your sins and my sins, it had to be equivalent. Therefore, it had to be a man. God had to become a man. And yet live a perfect, sinless life here on the earth in order to qualify as our Redeemer. We know who did that, right? Who was it? Jesus. All right, verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. I think we all know a little bit about foreknowledge being foreordained that God chose us before the foundations of the world. And it it didn't work like this. He didn't look over the course of human history, being God, being omnipotent, being omniscient, being omnipresent. Of course, he would be able to see everyone before they were even born, right? It wasn't like he went down the line and goes, okay, I like you, I'm going to save you. Now... You ugly. (laughs) That's not how it worked. He looked and he said, that one will choose me. That one will embrace me. Therefore, I choose them. That one never will. I will still reach out to them. I will still speak to them. But in my infinite knowledge and wisdom and understanding, I know they will never respond. Therefore, because they will reject me, I reject them. That's my understanding of foreknowledge, predestination. Calvinism teaches if you're not chosen, you're out of luck. You have no say in the matter. There is no free will. It's all God's sovereignty. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. That is not the God that I know, the God who is fair and just and righteous and holy and perfect in all of his ways, who would never reject anyone who would desire to come to Him. Jesus said, All those who come to Me, I will in no wise cast out. With predestination, with foreknowledge, God's sovereignty and man's free will intersect. But what's interesting here now is not only are you and I foreordained, Jesus was indeed foreordained before the foundation of the world. In God's infinite knowledge, He already knew before creation that man would fall and therefore God chose His only Son to be the Savior of mankind. The plan was set in motion before the world was even created. Even as you and I were foreordained to be saved in Christ, Jesus was foreordained To die in our place. That's amazing to me. And by the way, if you're here today or watching on the internet or what have you, later on, somewhere down the line, the TV program, it would be really sad for someone to be hearing the message of the gospel and say, I want to know God with all of my heart. I want to be saved. But what if I'm not chosen? That is the underlying problem with Calvinism, which, by the way, two-thirds of American churches embrace. Let me just put it this way. I'm probably going to offend somebody here today again. It wouldn't be a normal Sunday if I didn't. I've told you before, if, if it's a, supposed to be a Christian book and they sell it at Sam's Club, unless it's a Bible, and even then you've got to be careful. Because they, they're, they're probably selling the massage. <laughs> That's my new name for a horribly corrupted, it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. There's a difference. A lot of these Bibles out there that they pass off as translations are not translations at all. They didn't go back to the original Greek and Hebrew. They took a di- another Bible and just paraphrased it put it in their own words that's what the massage is so if you're looking for a nice ooey gooey warm fuzzy pseudo spiritual massage pick up one of those or if you need kindling for your fireplace pick up one of those again if you're here today and you have one I'm not judging you I'm not condemning you. I'm just warning you. Just like people warn me all the time when I eat donuts and stuff. Okay? You have a choice. You can listen to me or not. Don't judge me for my donuts and I won't judge you for your massage. But you really shouldn't read it. My point before I got off track. How could anybody... Sincerely, genuinely, passionately preach the gospel if in your heart of hearts you believe there's people sitting out here who can't be saved. Because according to Calvinism, if you're not chosen, if you're not foreordained, you're without hope. You can't be saved. How could I get up here and passionately preach the gospel knowing there's people here who can't get saved? That's a lie. As many as believed, as received him, as many as believed on his name, he gave the right to become the sons of God. Like I said, if it's a Christian book at Sam's Club, you probably shouldn't buy it. In fact, I can't really endorse any of the Christian bookstores anymore. They're all full of garbage. Nobody's vetted. It's symbolic of our society. The only ones who get vetted... Are the ones who are telling the truth. There's so much garbage in our Christian bookstores. It's unbelievable. The safest bet is stick with your Bible. There's some good books. Most of them were written by dead people. I'm serious. C.S. Lewis, Corey Ten Boom, on back even further, obviously. Previous generations before we reached the ultimate level of defilement and corruption which now exists in the world and in the church. You can't go wrong with the Word of God, however. So, my point is watch out what you read, what you purchase, and also today. Now, there was a time when you could say, okay, Orthodox. Christianity. We have a consensus. The Council of Nicaea. You know, the canonization of the scriptures. All these common areas of agreement within the church that gave us a sense of a foundation and a security. The basic fundamental tenets of the Christian faith. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. Born, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Died on the cross as the substitutionary atonement for our sins. On the third day He rose from the dead. Forty days later He ascended into heaven where He is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. But everything's changed. And so when I say two-thirds of American churches have embraced Calvinism, they've also embraced replacement theology that Israel no longer is relevant. Israel has been permanently rejected. The Jews have been cast off by God, which then leads to anti-Semitism. And on and on and on it goes. So what I'm trying to tell you, a lot of people live their lives this way. We've gotten so far off, whatever. A lot of people live their lives this way. Oh, the majority believes this. That must be true. The ice caps are melting. The polar bears are drowning. Pretty soon, all the coastal cities will be underwater which is good news if you have property in the desert of Arizona or New Mexico. Soon you will own a beach. (laughs) And they believe the majority consensus. Although historically, the majority is usually almost always wrong. Only one-third... Of the colonists in New England, the West Coast, the United States, Virginia, the 13 original colonies, only one third were pro revolution, freedom. One third were neutral. I'm just neutral. (laughs) Yes, you are. One third were pro-King George and one-third fought and died and bled for the freedom that you and I have today. I'm trying to tell you is the majority is almost never right. Please, whatever you see the majority doing, in most cases, you need to do the opposite. I guess that was the Holy Spirit. It certainly wasn't planned. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, if you're dealing with someone who's got this confusion, this doubt, this uncertainty, and they say to you, I want to know God, but what if I'm not chosen? Chuck would tell them, choose Him and find out. Guess what's going to happen if you choose God? you'll find out you're chosen. Because all who come to me I will in no wise cast out. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now Peter tells us, just as you and I were foreordained, chosen before the foundations of the world, Christ was chosen before the foundations of the world to be our Savior. But was manifest in these last times for you. More points made by Peter here. One, God's plan for man's redemption was put into motion before the creation of the world. Talk about being proactive. I was watching all the latest coverage on this new London terror attack and a number of commentators had the same observation and they were correct. What they were saying is, you know, they were praising the uh, first responders in Great Britain for how quickly they responded to the incident. Well, that doesn't do the dead people any good, does it? Oh, they responded within two or three minutes. Well, the guy's just as dead now as he was five minutes ago. What these commentators were saying is that they're being reactive. They're aware that these people are out there. They're aware that they have nefarious intentions, but they don't do anything until the people are already dead. That's reactionary. Our God's not reactionary. He's proactive. He didn't wait till the human race was already dead in their trespasses and sin, and then began to scratch his big omnipotent head and say, Oh my, what am I going to do? He put his plan into motion before we were even created. Secondly, the fullness of that plan, which is spelled out in John 3:16, for God so loved that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The fullness of that plan was not made known. This is Peter's point here. But manifest in these last times for you. The fullness of God's plan was not revealed until Jesus came to earth as a man. Yes, Jesus is in the Old Testament concealed. You can find Him there. In the New Testament, revealed. Revealed. The fullness of that plan was not made known until Jesus came to earth as a man and died on the cross for our sins. Third point here in verse 20. The last days, Peter says, was manifest in these last times for you. And he wrote 2,000 years ago. What is Peter telling us? The last days began. People scoff. Oh, last days. Now, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. The last days began when the fullness of God's plan was made known. Acts 2.15, Peter's great evangelistic message, following on the heels of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the upper room. 120 tongues of fire. The crowd says, ah, these guys are drunk, man. They're drunk as a skunk. For these are not drunk as you suppose, says Peter. Since it is only the third hour of the day, 9 a.m., give us a break. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he quotes here from Joel 2, 28 through 32. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, not just the Jewish people. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, hello, the real feminist movement, the real emancipator of women, God and His Son Jesus Christ. On my men servants, my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Peter's condensing a couple thousand years here in one teaching. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever, not you though, you're not chosen. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There it is in a nutshell. The last days began on the day of Pentecost and we are now in the last of the last of the last. And for all those freaking out about so-called climate change, the book of Revelation does talk about that and it's not man-made from CO2. It's the Spirit of God! And you better get ready for it because it's coming soon to a planet near you. And you can pass all the Kyoko agreements and Paris treaties that you want. And it's not going to stop what's coming on this planet. And if you don't know God, you better get saved real quick. Even as Peter here is delivering the first evangelistic message. And of course... People who preach the way I do get accused of being, you know, naysayers, doomsday, prophets, negative, blah, blah, blah. Well, right in his very first evangelistic message where 3,000 people get saved, Peter lays it all right out there. He tells them everything that's going to happen. The, de- the last days have just begun, and this is what's going to happen. And he lays out all this stuff. Even as he's delivering the first great evangelistic message of the church age, he goes into full-blown dissertation on the end times. Oh, but we shouldn't talk about that. That doesn't make me feel good. And I want to feel good. That's my highest priority, is to feel good. Well, you know what? I'm planning on feeling really good when I see Jesus. (laughs) In this world, not so much. You got your good days, your bad days, right? God is good. His blessings are multitudinous. You know, the real good feelings are going to get here when Jesus gets here. Verse 21. Who through him believe in God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You who through Him believe in God. We're the who and Jesus is the Him. The coming of Christ and the knowledge we have of Him imparted to us by the Holy Spirit enables us to believe in God the Father, the Creator of all things. See, prior to the coming of Christ, God seemed very far away, even though he was very active in the world. You couldn't see him, couldn't touch him, couldn't hear him with your physical ears. And so God became a man and came into this world. And he was heard, he was seen, he was touched. That's the testimony of John in the first epistle of John. That which we have seen, that which we have heard and touched. That was his testimony. John 1, 1 in his gospel through verse 3. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. Big W because it's Jesus, the Word. And the Word was God. Any group that denies the deity of Christ is a cult. It's a false religion. A false faith. And just about every cult on the planet denies the deity of Christ because if Jesus isn't God, He couldn't have paid the price for your sins. So we've got to get rid of that because we don't want anybody paying the price for your sins. We want you to pay the price. That's religion. Christianity is relationship. Jesus paid the price. Religion says, no, no. You have to pay the price and even then you might not get to heaven. You can take that religion and flush it. I'll take Jesus. Get these little tingles. You ever get those? He was in the beginning with God. He was there. God was making His plan. Christ was foreordained. All things were made through Him. Christ is co-creator with the Father and the Spirit. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. Who through Him believe in God. No man comes to the Father but through me, Jesus said. John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Who through Him believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory. God the Father raised the Son from the dead and glorified Him for all eternity. This is important because as His children, check it out, we only get what He gets. We are joint heirs with Christ. So whatever God gives to the Son, we get. If Jesus doesn't get it, we don't get it. So what did He get? He raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory. So what's going to happen to you and me? We're going to be raised from the dead and we're going to be given glory. Not because we deserve it. Because He loves us so much. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. So He is raised. We are raised. He is glorified. We are glorified. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits when there's a first fruit, there are more fruits to follow. How many of you here today are fruits? <laughs> we are going to follow. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or died. But that term is reserved for believers. Non-believers die. Believers fall asleep. Romans eight sixteen and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's called the inner witness. John Wesley preached for many years without an inner witness. One day he realized, you know what? I don't think I'm really saved. But he got saved, and he got the inner witness. And of children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Uh Uh-oh, there's a little caveat here. If, indeed, we suffer with Him, I don't want to do that. It doesn't make me feel good. You see, in this life, Jesus said in the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. It'll be okay. You can handle it. I'll be with you. I won't allow... More to come upon you than what you can bear. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But Jesus never for a moment promised us paradise here and now. And yet that's what a lot of people are trying to conjure up. With all the prosperity teaching, the faith teaching, the Joel Osteen stuff. False paradise on earth. This place ain't paradise. Paradise is where God is. Paradise is where Jesus is. No pain, no gain. Indeed, if indeed we suffer with him. What was the suffering of Christ? The physical part wasn't the the worst part. It was the rejection. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Men hate me. They're going to hate you. Are you willing to swim upstream, to go against the tide, to reject the majority opinion, to follow Christ at any cost? If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. What was the sequence for Jesus? Rejection, suffering, death, And then, glorification. See, we want to bypass all that, don't we? We want to go, pass, go, collect $200, get out of jail free card. The glorification comes after all of the above. Right now, there are believers all over the world that are enduring that paying that price, suffering, being persecuted, dying. Are we ready for that in America? I don't know. I'm not wishing it on us. I hope and pray it doesn't happen. Many think that it will. Many think it's inevitable. Verse 22, which is our last verse Today? Which means I hope you brought your lunch. No. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Since you have purified your souls. Wait a minute. Hold on. I thought it was the blood of Christ that purified our souls. How do we purify our own souls. Yes, it is the blood of Christ, but the scriptures do teach that we have a part to play. Psalms 119, beginning in verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do you purify your soul? How do you cleanse your way? By taking heed to God's word. Because yes, when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're washed in the blood of the Lamb, you're cleansed, you're forgiven, but every day you have a choice. Am I going to take heed to God's word today, or am I going to just do whatever I want? It's a daily choice and that's how you cleanse your way and purify your soul keeping yourself from defilement by taking heed to his word he says thy word have i hidden in my heart gee everybody's saying that homosexuality is really cool maybe i should try oh wait a minute what does god's word say about that You see how that works? You hide the Word of God in your heart that you might not sin against Him. If you don't know what the Word of God says, oh, you can plead ignorance. But try that with the traffic cop. When you're caught going 20 miles over the speed limit, I didn't see any signs. I didn't know. Oh, well, then I'm not going to give you a ticket today. Does that work? You're still accountable. You're still responsible. Take heed. Take heed according to your word. With my whole heart, I have sought you. The way someone seeks after a man or a woman that they so desperately want to, in previous times I would have say it, said "Mary." That used to be the idea that you pursued someone, you courted them, you wooed them, you dated them because you wanted to make them your lifetime helpmeet, their spouse. Things are a little different today. But that same intensity. You'll do anything, right? Flowers, candy, dinner, whatever, movies. Anything and everything. You'll even go on a picnic, even though you don't really like picnics. Oh, sweetheart, would you like to go on a picnic? And sit on the grass by the lake? And watch the flowers? Yeah, right. You'd rather be home watching football. But you'll do it! Well, what will you do for God? How much do you really desire Him? How desperately do you want God? With my whole heart, I have sought you. Well, Lord, let me look at my... Where's my I don't have my iPhone on me. I've got to check my calendar, Father. Okay, God, I think I could fit you in on Wednesday at 11 a.m. Will that work? Is that seeking God with your whole heart? No. Since you have purified your souls, and here it is. This confirms what we just read in Psalm 119. Peter says, Since you've purified your souls in obeying the truth, you certainly don't purify your soul by disobeying God. That's for sure. Salvation's a free gift, but we're given the responsibility of maintenance. Hello? Okay, son, I'm going to give you this Mercedes as a graduation gift. It's a present from me to you. But you have to be sure and maintain it. Change the oil. Check the tires. Check the brakes. Get regular servicing. The Mercedes is free. But how well and how long that Mercedes runs is up to you. God saves you by grace through faith. He washes you with the precious blood of Christ. But you have a responsibility for the maintenance of your soul. Get it? In obeying the truth through the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that makes God's Word come alive in our hearts. And He's the one who draws us into obedience. You don't think that you just conjured it up all on your own, do you? Oh, yeah, I think I want to be obedient to God. It's a work of the Spirit. John fourteen twenty six, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Philippians two thirteen, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. It's God, His Spirit, working in you. Both the will, He gives you the desire, and He's the one who gives you the ability. We need Him for all of it. Okay, God, you, I've got the desire now. You can I'll take it from here. No, you won't. <laughs> God gives you the desire, and He gives you the ability, the strength, to follow through in obeying His Word, doing the right thing. In sincere love of the brethren... The truest evidence... Okay, this is another one of those little owie moments here. Are you ready? This is a spiritual owie. The truest evidence of genuine conversion. This is God. I didn't make this up. God said it. The truest evidence of genuine conversion is love, agape, agape, fruit of the spirit Galatians 5 22 now here in this verse we have two Greek words the sincere love of the brethren is Philadelphia phileo brotherly love warm tender affection but it doesn't stop there at the end of the verse Paul uses agape unconditional love the kind that can only come from God insincere sincere love of the brethren in the Latin it is sinna it means without wax. In ancient times, the pottery trade was a really big deal. Bowls, cups, vessels of every kind. Sometimes in the process of making the pottery and firing it, it would crack. Making it unsellable. But the shrewd merchant would fill the cracks with wax, paint the pot, the vessel. The person would purchase this beautiful painted vessel, take it home, start to use it. The wax would fall out because it was insincere. without means without wax. It was insincere. It was fake, phony, and it didn't hold up. Sincere, not fake love, Phony love. Oh, God bless you. Can't stand that again. John thirteen thirty five, by this will all men know that you're my disciples. All will know that you're my disciples, if you have love agape, for one another. First John four twenty. If anyone says I love God, it's really easy to say that, isn't it? Just throw it out there. I love God. Of course, who is your God? Only you know in your heart. I love God and hates his brother. He's a liar. Stop that. That doesn't make me feel good. <laughs> For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, yeah, that's why I don't love him, you know? How can he love God whom he's not seen? Sincere love of the brethren. The truest evidence of genuine conversion is love. With a pure heart. Again, Peter is speaking of our maintenance program. Our maintenance agreement. The pure heart. Psalm 51.10. David, praying after his sin with Bathsheba, created me a clean heart, O God, a pure heart, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. When we sin grievously before God, as David did with Bathsheba and the killing of Uriah and so forth, The joy of your salvation tends to slip away. You know what I mean? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Create in me a pure heart, a clean heart. Peter says, in sincere love of the brethren with a pure heart. And I jumped over love. I want to finish with love. Agape. Love one another. Agape one another fervently. Unconditionally. Fervently means earnestly, eagerly, vehemently, with great warmth. Intense love for one another. And if you go over to 1 Peter 4, verse 8, Peter says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another. Why? For love will cover a multitude of of sins arguably one of the greatest problems in the church always has been always will be till, we, till Jesus comes back people getting offended getting their feelings hurt as I've been alluding to over and over this morning but love covers over a multitude of sins so and so didn't say hi to me this morning oh, that's okay I love him I'm sure there was a reason they were probably distracted, you know, preoccupied. Love covers over a multitude of sins. More than ever today, we live in a world where everybody's offended about everything all the time. You can't live like that. The human race can't survive like that, and it's infiltrated the church. Everybody getting offended all the time about everything. So I just make it quicker and easier for you. Okay? <laughs> I cut to the chase. If it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen to you sooner or later, with me it'll be sooner. <laughs> you know I'm joking. I don't do it on purpose. It's just the way God made me. So take it up with Him. Love covers over a multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 13.8 Love Never fails. Agape. Unconditional love. It's not, I love you because you're cool. I love you because you're a Bronco fan. I love you because you like Donald Trump. Blah, 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 blah. No. Agape. Unconditional love. Love with no strings attached. That's the kind of love that nailed Jesus to the cross. That's the kind of love that God wants to manifest in and through his people. And that kind of love never fails. Well, whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. It goes on to say, but when that which is perfect is come. That which is perfect is Jesus. When Jesus comes, we won't need any of these other things. In the meantime, what has God given us to hold us over? 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now abide faith, hope, love, These three, but the greatest of these is love, agape. The King James uses the word charity. If all believers everywhere could seriously undertake to follow the teachings of the scriptures regarding love, specifically here in Peter, the sincere love of the brethren with a pure heart, loving one another fervently, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. If all believers everywhere could live this out daily, what a wonderful world this would be. There's a song, Wonderful World, originally written by Sam Cooke, then recorded by Hammonds Hammets. Of course, it's about a love between a guy and a girl, but it fits pretty well. Don't know much about history, don't know much biology, don't know much about a science book, don't know much about the French I took. And by the way, as once stated in a song by a great Christian music group of the 70s called The Second Chapter of Acts, They had a line in one song that says, you can go to your college, you can go to your school, but if you don't know Jesus, you are an educated fool. But I do know, so he doesn't know any of this stuff, but I do know that I love you, and I know that if you love me too, what a wonderful world this would be. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help this morning. We acknowledge... That we fall miserably short of your standards. And we thank you that because of that, you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins because all have sinned, all have missed the mark, all have come short of your glory. And you have graciously, mercifully extended to us the opportunity for forgiveness of sin and salvation of our souls. Lord, the inheritance that we have with Christ, the resurrection of our bodies from the dead to live in eternity in paradise with you, Father. But Lord, we also acknowledge that along the way we are charged with the maintenance of our souls by taking heed to your word, by drawing near to you, by seeking you with our whole hearts. And Lord, if your plan were followed perfectly, this would be a wonderful world. But unfortunately... People don't always follow your plan perfectly. But we pray for your help right here this morning for each one of us in our homes, in our families, in our community, in our church. Lord, that we could take seriously this exhortation to sincerely and fervently love one another, Lord, so that all the little goofy things we all do, the little sins, we're constantly... Falling short and missing the mark. But Lord, that doesn't mean we have to uh, let it tear us down, destroy us, eat away at us. Lord, by simply walking in love, agape love, unconditional love, we can cover over the multitude of sins and we can enjoy you and we can enjoy our families, we can enjoy our church, because we're not easily offended. We're walking in that sincere, fervent love. That's your goal for us, your plan for us. Lord, help us to cooperate with you more fully because you've promised us peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. Lord, help us to step up and lay hold of that which you have made available to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.